0: Tonight is going to be the Ian Hap Show on Behind the Yellow Line. We've got so much Chicago Cubs news to talk about. A successful homestand, the Cubs win series against Seattle and Texas. We'll break that down. We've got some minor league notes. Overall thoughts, the first 10 or so days of this 2023 season. But Jeremy Randall, the big story today in the world of the Cubs Ian Happ, the Cubs left fielder, signs a three-year contract extension that will keep him in Chicago for 2024, 2025, and 2026, $61 million going back to Ian Happ. And I'll tell you guys, when the Cubs broke camp without a contract extension for Ian Happ, I thought there was no chance in hell this was going to get done. I am shocked this gets wrapped up today on April 12. Amazing news.
1: How great was that? It, it seemed like the news broke very quickly over the course of an hour. We heard that they were deep in talks, which usually means it's going to get done. And then it was done. And then the Cubs announced it. Uh, you know, I, we talk all offseason. I don't love the rumors. I don't love the churn. It's great when something just pops up like that out of nowhere and we get to enjoy it in uh, in rapid succession.
2: It was fantastic news. Um, it was awesome to see that come across the wire today. Of course, last night Jed Hoyer was in the booth and he had mentioned that they had, you know, positive conversations with Ian. So, so there was some kind of speculation. Does this mean anything? Does it mean they're talking about in the past? So it was really cool to to see today that yeah, they actually did get something done. They signed a. a a free agent he's going to be around for another three years he's going to be one of the longer tendered cubs of this era uh, uh player and it's really cool that ian happ of a major league all-star last year a gold glove winner is going to be around for another three years
1: and how crazy is this that if ian happ plays out uh the three years of the contract to which he was just signed he will have been a Cub longer than Rizzo, longer than Baez, longer than Bryant, longer than Schwarber, and longer than Contreras if Ian Happ plays out the full three years of that contract. And that's crazy.
0: Yeah, especially Rizzo in that name. I mean, Bryant and Baez and things like that, they get traded before free agency. Um, This is just incredible, though. And it keeps him in Chicago through his age 31 season. So you're theoretically getting the most productive years of Ian Happ's career coming off of an all-star appearance, that gold glove appearance. And now you've got him locked up through what should be an interesting couple of years for the Chicago Cubs. That's fun.
2: Yeah, and I I think it really shows what uh, Jed Hoyer, uh, really kind of, you know, how he, he – one, number one, how disciplined he is. But number two, like what he's trying to do, we see all of the contracts that Jed Hoyer has signed, they've all been kind of this short-term – Three years, you look at Nico, Marcus Stroman, even, you know, Daniel Swanson was a seven-year contract, but it still kind of fit, like in his kind of disciplined approach of I'm not giving out the 13-year contract, I'm not giving out the 11-year contract. Um, and I think Jed is just a really disciplined guy. He doesn't really want to go long-term, and Ian was willing to take that. And now we got a guy who's here for three years, and he's going to be playing for that next contract. Yeah. So there is a little incentive in that kind of short three-year deal to, to keep going.
1: And Jet's just a, a ninja. And, you know, he shares that with Theo because it was like that when Theo was running the show, too, that stuff would just kind of come out of nowhere. But uh, Dansby Swanson, you know, it was quiet. It was quiet. It was quiet. And then one Saturday, it drops that they sign him. Seiya Suzuki, it was not as quiet because you get the churn from the the Japanese media that starts to... Uh, Cross the wire first. But when Jed does something like this, it seemingly comes out of nowhere. And honestly, I respect it because it means that even when it seems like nothing is going on, you feel like when something good happens, it's going to come out of nowhere and there's not going to be a lot of smoke first. So I like it.
0: It also adds some stability to the lineup for the next couple of years. Like now we know, okay. Swanson Swanson's going to be the Cubs shortstop. Nico Horner is going to be the second baseman. You've got Seiya Suzuki locked up in right till at least 2025, and Ian Happ in left field. So the farm is starting to produce major league talent. You've got four everyday players locked up on the middle infield and the corner outfield, and we're beginning to see what this Cubs team is going to look like for the next three or four. Four years.
1: And the added benefit of this and having both of your corners locked up is that you no longer need these outfield prospects who are probably more corner limited. You don't need them to work out. You don't need Brennan Davis to work out. You don't need Alexander Canario to come back healthy and work out. You don't need Kevin Alcantara to work out. If they do work out, that's great. That's a great problem to have. But now the only outfield position you don't have locked up for the next three years is center field. And you have a young man down in the minors who you hope is going to come up. And lock up that position. And again, that's a great position to be in when you don't have to rely on prospects to break out and become everyday major leaguers in order to have a successful lineup. If they do, that's great. But you no longer need that to happen.
2: That 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 is true, uh, Randall. You you look at it as the proxy excuse me, the prospects, these outfield prospects are now more, you know, just kind of assets. It's sort of like that you could use them for trades because you have some of these guys kind of stuck in the future. And we went we went into this year. Thinking like, okay, we want to get a Nico extension done. We want to get an Ian Hap extension done, and we were skeptical. Uh, you know, there was all the talk about, you know, they never got their extensions done with the previous core. And is Jed or Tom? Are they really going to go out there and pay it? Well, we saw how Jed is is working, as I mentioned before, and he got it done. He got a Nico extension done. Yeah, it's only one extra year, but it's still one more year. He got the Ian Hap extension done, and personally. I would argue, out of unfortunately, like out of the core, out of all these players, Ian Happ might be the best one of them today in 2023, and he's oh. going to be the one who's the Cub the longest.
1: And one more added bonus is now in what's going to be another busy free agent year. That's one more plate you don't have to spin. That's a, another ball you don't have to have in the air while you're juggling uh, a free agent season where you're going to have one really, really big fish out there. I know you're both real skeptical that the Cubs are going to be in play for that, but still going to be out there. And you now have again your your left fielder. You don't need to worry about retaining him while bringing new guys. It's it's like doing your homework ahead of time.
0: With that in mind, I mean, Ian Happ was going to be one of the top outfielders, if not the top outfielder, uh, one of the top outfielders. Let's say in the free agent class for this year, he's off the board now. Are either are you surprised that Ian Happ took this deal? Because he certainly would have gotten more guaranteed money if he had tested free agency. In the long haul, this might produce more money for him, right? Because he can still sign another contract after he's 31. But are either of you surprised that he took this type of a contract on the cusp of being a free agent?
2: I'm am a little surprised. I when the extension was announced this morning, and it still gets me every time I see one of these contracts with Jed. They they come in a little bit lower than when I expect. I still am kind of expecting that kind of bigger contract. I thought you'd have maybe like a five year deal. Uh, I'm a little surprised. Yeah, he only stuck around for three more years, and that got it done. But he's getting paid twenty million a year, which is probably more had he signed a five year contract. It's probably a lower uh, average value annual value, and As you said, he's going to have another shot at another contract, and he seems to really like being in Chicago, and he wanted to get it done. So on the surface, it does make sense. Like, you get three more years, you're going to get another shot, getting a contract. I mean, Anthony Rizzo signed his extension, went until he was 31, so he saw what Rizzo did. Um, And he's going to be in Chicago for three more years, which he really likes. So, uh, you know, some guys, they're willing to take that, and I think it worked out with Ian, and I'm glad it did, because Jed got Nico and he got Ian, and I, I love it.
1: And Yeah, it does surprise me, especially when you look at what his competition would have been among the free agent outfield class this offseason. Pure free agents, no options, no nothing. It's names like Harrison Bader, Charlie Blackmon, uh, Teoscar Hernandez, Jock Peterson, Hunter Renfro, uh, Jesse Winker. I mean, these are all names that I I think are probably maybe not Blackmon necessarily. He's at the end of He's at the end of his career. I don't think he's gonna leave Colorado. And you've well, seen him, you've seen him more than any of us, Ronan. You don't probably don't think he's gonna leave Colorado either. Rockies
0: are ready to give him five years and a hundred million at this point. So just to keep it going. Um I don't mean that, of course. He's done, in my opinion. Uh yeah, it's not a very good free agent no, class for right. Cap would have been top of the class there.
1: So, yeah, it is surprising given what his competition would have been. He absolutely would have been a top free agent outfielder as a defender, as a hitter, as, a you know, all around player. So I am very surprised. But this is that supposed hometown discount we haven't really seen anybody take in the last uh, decade necessarily because they they didn't really get the chance. And Ian, Chan- Ian Happ took it. And I'm very happy for him and very happy for us.
2: He, he's still getting paid, though. As I said, 20 million, a um, uh, 20 million a year, which is going to put him up there for, uh, you know, outfield contracts uh, is a little shorter term. But also, like, let's let's, you know, look at Ian, how and how much, you know, a guy who was up and down in his career got sent down uh, a couple, you know, went down, had to work it out a couple times and came back, worked hard, wasn't like a great outfielder to begin with he you know the Cubs used to play him on the infield worked hard at being an outfielder became a a gold glover last year really put it all together last year coming off a great year and he gets the contract and I'm happy for him and I'm happy for the Cubs I mean I don't I'm not trying to talk negative about people uh but you look at the last four years since 2020 and you type in like who leads out of the core say Bryant Baez Schwarber you know Contreras Hap Rizzo and FWAR Ian Happ is right at the top, basically tied with Wilson. It's Wilson 7.3 F4, Ian Happ 7.2 FR since 2020. And that doesn't really take into account Wilson's pitch framing. So you could argue that Ian Happ over the last four years and probably moving forward is the best player of those players. Yeah. And he's the one that Jed Hoyer signed. So I'm happy he's sticking around. And I'm not trying to talk negative about all those guys because I love oh. those guys. But I'm just saying Ian Happ today in 2023 is probably the best of those players.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I had a close up view of Chris Bryant last night at Coors Field was literally in the front row of the right field bleachers sitting behind KB. I'll get to this a little bit later, but man, something is not right there. He just does not look like the same guy that we saw in Chicago Um, to Ian Hap's credit he seems to work his tail off, right? He's got an incredible reputation in the clubhouse. In the last couple of big league seasons, he's cut down his strikeout rate. He's improved his walk rate. He's become a gold glove caliber left fielder. The guy has just gotten better and better. And something else about Ian Happ, and I've mentioned this on the podcast, he made his debut in 2017, right? We think of him as being a Cub forever. He did not get that World Series ring in Chicago. That is still a carrot that's being dangled in front of him. And in his press conference today, he talked about how badly he wants to playoff games at Wrigley Field again he didn't really get to experience that like some of those other players in the World Series core so this is great and I'm just I'm thrilled I did not see this coming and Jed and the Cubs pulled it off and it sort of changes the outlook of maybe how aggressive this team is going to be even this year
2: that's right you you uh you know in your predictions you're talking about Cubs are going to trade in half in July yeah. and now that's off the table. I mean, we're not trading in half. So, uh, you know, you got off to a little bit of a hot start. We still have a way to go, but I agree with you. Like, it, it really kind of changes the game plan this year. Um, you know, the guys that you you think that might be, you know, trade pieces. Well, now Ian half's gone, and or he's. Sticking in chicago he's gone off the market and so i i you know i, I it's a win-win-win the only downside for this i can think of is now we still have some podcast competition in the city following this team which uh, is a little bit of a downside for us but uh uh i love Ian Hap sticking around and he's a guy who works hard as you said
1: i like to think we still rank highly in the non mlb player division uh you know two different divisions uh like golf, you got the, the, you got the amateurs and you got the pros. I like to think we still rank very highly in the non MLB player division.
0: You know, one other point on Ian Happ, I wanted to mention uh, he, and I don't say this to jinx them. I know anytime I say anything like make a prediction, you guys both cringe. Um, The guy has been very healthy the last three years, like the 60 game season in 2020, he played 57 games, 148 games in 2021, 158 games last year in 2022. So he's an everyday guy. He's been like a staple of the Cubs lineup for the last couple of years. And now he's locked up through 26.
2: Fantastic player. Fantastic guy to have like front your organization. You know, you look at Nico, you look at Danby, you look at Ian Happ. Like that's a good uh, group of guys to have as, being the guys that are here for the long term and here to be like the faces of the franchise and so i it's 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 just an awesome news to not to wake up to today but because it came out like at 11 but uh just to have early in the morning today and before going to the game and everything was just awesome
1: and one more tidbit ian happ of course is the cubs player representative for the union he, he represent you know he is the one who goes to the meetings virtually and then kind of takes that information back to the clubhouse that's good continuity to have too especially as We are going through rule changes, which themselves might lead to more rule changes as they tweak things. That's good continuity to have, too, that you're going to have one guy in the clubhouse who is the go-between between the the players and the union, and that's a a familiar pipeline of communication. So as things continue to change in the game, that's a small um, but I think underrated bit of continuity that the Cubs get to enjoy now as well.
0: Jeremy, you were out at the friendly confines today, uh, able to take in the ballgame, and something that I saw just on TV watching the game is when the Cubs took the field, one, Ian Happ was the first position player to take the field sprinting out to left field, but on the video board in left field, they basically put up a graphic that said, hey, we worked out a contract extension, this guy's sticking around for a couple of years. What was that moment like in the ballpark, seeing him take the field, maybe the crowd's reaction or appreciation for a fan favorite?
2: I thought it was pretty cool. I was wondering if they would... Uh, do something I was wondering if it would be like announced at the ballpark if they would acknowledge it uh, when he was first you know it was still before the game not everybody's at their seats yet and everything when he was first when he was first and being in the starting lineup you know you got the little Ian Happ uh, cheer but I, I wasn't sure if it was just a normal cheer for your Happer because people knew he got the extension and then when you saw the graphic up there yeah you got a pretty big cheer uh, for that And so I thought that was pretty cool that they did acknowledge it they did announce it to the ballpark um, I, thought, I did think it was fun, funny to One of the guys next to uh, me was like reading up on the contract <laughs> in his seat. And he's like, ah, he's like 20 million. I guess that's the going rate for a guy like Ian Happ now. That's like I'm like, yeah, Ian Hap's a pretty good player, man. And 20 million is really not <laughs> like a huge amount of money in today's uh, baseball. Uh, world. But yeah, I, I, I gave him a big cheer. I was happy when Ian Happ came running out. And I was like, this guy's sticking around and seeing it on the big board made it all the more special.
1: You know, I said how great it was that this seemingly came out of nowhere and we got to enjoy it as a surprise. The only way it could have been better is if the Cubs had announced it themselves via the video board. Like Ian Happ takes his <laughs> position in left field and they flash the graphic of there and that's the first anybody hears of it is that Ian Happ has been extended and we all learn it from the Wrigley Field video board.
2: We all talk about, you know, the secret, the uh, announcement at like Cubs convention, but yeah. we never ever talk about, you know, just announcing an extension at in a game ballpark. one day, in the ballpark, making a move and just announcing it. And uh, that, I think that was the closest we've ever gotten to, to it. So that was pretty cool.
1: That's the next yeah. Frontier
2: marquee had some pretty neat coverage of it too basically
0: the parade of coaches and players that were hugging Ian Happ in the dugout right before they took the field it was neat to see that side of it because I think oftentimes that stuff happens in the clubhouse away from the cameras but for that to be visible for the Cubs pregame to really lock in on that uh, was neat to see from a fan who wasn't out at the ballpark today uh, Jeremy one other question for you here because you mentioned this in the group text earlier you said there was a fan around you that when the pregame introductions were <laughs> happening this fan noted two players on the Cubs that he cheered. For who were those two cubs?
2: Uh, this fan, and he was a little bit up there in age. He was not a young uh spry guy. Uh he when the first name was announced, it was Nick Madrigal, and he got up there and he gave a big cheer for him. And I was like, <laughs> all right, Nick Madrigal. And then the Ian Hap came and people were cheering, and some other names came. And then another player came up and he put two arms in the air and cheered loudly. <laughs> And it was Eric Hosmer. And I thought that was pretty interesting. And now I wasn't sure if he was a like a true Cubs fan in terms of, is he from out of state or something or visiting? And I was like, I was trying to figure this out, but he was cheering Eric Hosmer pretty good the whole game. <laughs> so I was wondering if there was some sort of connection there, like being a fan somewhere else. Like every time like Hosmer, would up, he's like, all right, let's do this. Or when Hosmer hit that ball, that kind of got caught. At the warning track it wasn't really well hit, but on a day like today, the ball carried pretty well. And They got caught at the warning track. He was like cheering. And I'm like, that ball's going to be caught, dude. But it was like Hosmer was his guy. And I, I'm like, all right. It, I'm glad Eric Hosmer had a fan today at the ballpark who was really supporting him.
1: Guy knows what he
0: likes.
2: I, I will American also say League
0: central players that guy likes.
2: Yes, that's true. And there were there were two uh, women, girls uh, near me who came down towards the end of the game. And they were Dodger fans. And one of them was wearing a Bellinger jersey. And I'm like, ah, we got some Bellinger love here, too.
0: Interesting. That's fun, though. Uh, lots happening, though. at Wrigley Field here, a great home stand for the Cubs. They take two of three from Texas. They take two of three from Seattle. Uh, two teams that a lot of people think are going to be pretty competitive this year. Of course, the Mariners had that nice run last season up in Seattle. Um, one guy that has stood out for me here, the man who started opening day for the Cubs, he actually got the loss today, Marcus Stroman, but three starts this year. Six innings in all three of his games. He's allowed just two earned runs this season. He has been spectacular at the top of the rotation for the Cubs.
2: He's been great. And I, you know, six innings each start quality starts each time today was a tough day to pitch, uh, And I was impressed by both Strowman and I was impressed by Logan Gilbert both being able to keep the ball in the yard because the wind was blowing out like crazy. It was like the first real probably warm day at Wrigley. That ball was going to carry and both of them kept the ball in the yard. And I thought Stroman did a pretty well. He ran to a little bit of jam, ended up giving up two runs. But I thought that's a tough lineup. I'm surprised at how Seattle has kind of struggled because everybody in that lineup, it seems like you hit the ball really hard. And I thought Stroman did a very good job today of keeping that ball in the yard and keeping that Seattle lineup for the most part down.
1: Yeah, you know, we haven't seen a real strong turn through the rotation the first First two times through kind of top heavy right now, uh, which makes it all the more important that the ostensible ace of your staff is able to go out there and give you six strong innings every fifth day. And, you know, I'm sure we'll get to this. It hasn't one and two have been good. Three, four, five have struggled a little bit. And again, that makes it all the more important that Stroman goes out there, that steel goes out there and they give you six good innings. And as you build up a little bit, that'll probably get to, you know, seven good innings as the efficiency gets better, as the arm strength gets better. So if this team has any chance of competing, it's going to be on the back of Marcus Stroman, giving you six to seven good innings every fifth day.
2: And I'm hopeful Well, speaking about, Oh, go ahead. Okay. I'm just saying, I'm hopeful Stroman. Uh, he continues that. Because as we mentioned, like he's got that player opt out this year. Um, so I'm hoping he sticks around kind of towards this whole season. And and he's showing like that right now that he's a top tier kind of pitcher. I don't know why I'd call him an ace, but certainly somebody towards the top of your rotation. And I, I think he's pitching pretty well. And and he did have a couple of walks, but I'm just hopeful. You know, I, I agree with you. I think he's been a huge part of this uh, team so far yep. the first two weeks of the season.
0: He's been fun to watch. He seems to have embraced the pitch clock and pitching with a little bit more urgency. He had awesome things today also to say about Ian Happ. And that got me thinking sort of to your point, Jeremy, Today's extension with Ian Happ, the extension a couple of weeks ago at Nico Horner, a pretty interesting start, right, Uh, to use that word for the Cubs here so far. They're about 500, but they're doing a lot of things that have been fun here, including that come-from-behind win on Tuesday night. You wonder if that's making any impression on a guy like Marcus Stroman about, hey, look, he's got options here at the end of this year. We don't know necessarily if he's going to be around all season, but the more the Cubs win here – the more the front office invests in players long-term, that's got to be very appealing to Marcus Stroman to want to stick it out in Chicago long-term.
2: I hope, my hope is that the Cubs and Marcus Stroman realize that together and that this player option... Kind of becomes the basis of a new contract, right? Uh, that he, it's not just like Marcus is picking us up at the end of the year and that's his last year. It's that Marcus is kind of intimates, okay? I really like it here in Chicago. I want to stay. Kind of similar to what happened with True Smiley this year, but more you know uh, immediate, uh, where uh, in the front office and they work out. Maybe they can work out another as Jed loves them so much, three year deal where or something along those lines. And and the option kind of becomes part of that. And so I, I think that would be kind of a, a good way for a Strowman who seems to really like it in Chicago to kind of come back next year and get some more commitment.
1: Strowman, definitely a person who surfs the vibe waves. And I I think if the vibes are good at the end of the season, even if the Cubs have not made the playoffs, even if maybe they don't finish above 500, I think if the vibes are good, like you said, this season is sort of like a sales pitch to them or like a, like a, a, a renewal pitch, I guess is a better way to put it and so far he seems to be enjoying himself he seems to have bought into what this free the front office did this offseason he seems to be buying into this roster he had nothing but good things to say about ian hap today and he he i think he even went so far as to say he likes what this front office is doing in in extending horner and extending hap and that he wants to be a part of it and, you know, he, I think he's also very good at kind of telling people what they want to hear. I think he's very good at telling Cubs fans that we are the best, which is true. We <laughs> are, but you know, that doesn't mean that he's not still kind of feeding us a line, but just the same, you know, it is like you said, a sales pitch. And I think as long as the vibes are good, he he may well make the decision to stay here.
2: I, I do think that he really does like it here. I, I do think he yeah. enjoys it. I think that he enjoys playing with the Cubs. I don't think he would have signed with the Cubs if he wasn't really interested in it to begin with, because he, I mean, he was coming off a pretty good year. He could have signed anywhere. They got that done right before the, the lock uh, out deadline, when he was saying he wasn't really even thinking about signing before the lockout deadline. So I do think he's interested and just, you know, he's, he's showing so far that he's a legitimate pitcher that I just feel like that opt out is kind of like leverage for him to come to the Cubs and be like, I like it here. Let's keep this going. And I think it could work out on both sides that, you know, the Cubs get more security, not just going into a year of one more year of Marcus Stroman and Marcus Stroman gets more security. I just feel like there's a good fit there for another Marcus Stroman extension. Hey, if the Cubs can get three extensions done this year, I, that'd be pretty happy.
0: You know, Marcus Stroman was talking on the pregame show today before the game on Marquee just about a certain level of responsibility also that he feels in Chicago. He actually said, you know, he wanted to see more people who look like him coming out to the ballpark, kids in the inner city too in Chicago wanting to play baseball, and he feels like he's got a little bit of responsibility there as the top end of the rotation and somebody who can make a statement in a great baseball city like Chicago. So I think he does embrace his time in the Windy City, and I'd love – For this to continue to work out i mean he's been fantastic at the top of the rotation up to this point and he's playing for everything he's got a big contract on the line here if he can continue to play well and if you're trying to sell people on the wrigley field experience monday and tuesday even though it's midweek games in april it's hard to top what we saw at wrigley at the beginning of this week monday night nico horner with that first career walk off and the wild comeback Tuesday night. Uh, one thing about that comeback Tuesday night when Velazquez hit the Grand Slam and I was not watching the game live. I was at Coors Field last night, but I heard the radio call later and Pat Hughes said, folks, it's the third inning and the fans are standing up and cheering. And then I later saw a video and yes, the fans are up there cheering. There's no sign saying cheer now, make noise. That is what is awesome about Wrigley Field. And for Velazquez in that moment to hit a Grand Slam, one of the real highlights of that guy's life, no doubt.
1: I have beaten that drum for years. I have beaten that drum to be glad that the Cubs don't beat drums like the electronic drums at Dodger Stadium. Pat Hughes, who you mentioned, every time the Cubs are in Dodger Stadium and it's a big moment for the Dodgers, Pat always in his very diplomatic, very polite tone notes, the scoreboard is telling the fans to make noise like he knows that we know that that's bullshit. But Pat's too much of a diplomat to call it that on air. Uh, But yes, I beat that drum every time I can, that you don't get that at Wrigley. We don't need to be told to make noise. There's no noise-a-meter. It doesn't go up on the video board. And that is what makes Wrigley feel great. And Ronan, you, of course, are not in Chicago. Jeremy and I are. The weather this week has just been yeah. pristine. Not only are you getting the full Wrigley Field experience, you are getting the Great Lakes summer experience. And there is absolutely no finer place to be in the summer than the Great Lakes in Chicago, especially. So it's very funny when Seiya Suzuki signed, his visit to Chicago was one of the few warm days in In late February, early March of last spring, 2022, we're talking about, you know, selling people on Wrigley. Ian Happ chooses to sign an extension. We're talking about selling Marcus Stroman on staying here there. I don't think there's any better way to sell Chicago or Wrigley Field than this week's worth of baseball. Between the weather, between the baseball, between the ballpark, I don't think you could peak the Wrigley Field experience any higher.
2: Yeah, today was a beautiful day. As you mentioned, today was like, it got warmer as the game went on. By the I think it started off at like 72 and finished at like 79. It it was a perfect day at Wrigley Field. Unfortunately, it didn't turn out that way for the Cubs. But going back to last night's game, that third inning, uh, that comeback to the Velasquez home run, that was like playoff atmosphere when he hit that ball. I mean, Wrigley Field was just rocking. I saw it on TV, but it looked crazy out there. I was loving it and that's pretty impressive in and of itself that the team was down seven, nothing. Now I know it was still only the third inning, but you know, it wasn't really like people kind of got up and left or whatever. It was, it was, you know, touch and go there for a while. I, I imagine most people didn't think the Cubs are going to come back and it, it, they turned that into a 14, nine win, a crazy game, uh, rocking Wrigley field. It was one of the better atmospheres I'd seen at Wrigley. And that's just kind of how it is. And I always think about like, the opposing players coming in, the guys who have never played at Wrigley. I know their managers played at Wrigley, Scott Service, but the other players there, like, how are they experiencing this? I, I can't imagine that anybody that comes to Wrigley would not think like one day this would be a really cool place for me to play, especially with all yeah. the upgrades they've kind of done for the players. Um, I just think it's a great selling point.
1: And the last two time the Mariners have been at Wrigley, uh, the last time the Mariners were at Wrigley was – or maybe it wasn't necessarily the last time it was the last time it was the last Last time time the Mariners were at Wrigley 2016 you had that crazy Sunday night game with uh, Brian Mattis getting shelled whom I've actually had the pleasure of talking to a few times and uh, he says it has to do a lot with the fact that he wasn't wearing a properly sized jersey which is interesting, but that's neither here nor there. But you had that wild game, Travis Wood in left field, making a running catch up against the Ivy, the John Lester game-ending bunt, and now you get to say the Cubs erased a 7 nothing deficit with a Nelson Velasquez Grand Slam. I always say weird things happen when the Rockies come into Wrigley. That might be time to put the Mariners in that category, especially now that we're going to see it every two years. It might be time to put the Mariners in the category of weird shit happens when they come into Wrigley. Yeah, that that's good
0: stuff, Randall. And uh, it did seem like an awesome atmosphere. Something I was bitching about last week on the show is the official clips on MLB.com are super short. Like, if you want to watch the Grand Slam there, the pitcher's basically in their windup when the clip starts, the ball gets out. In fact, the most viral clip on Twitter last night of that grand slam was 10 seconds long. To try and capture that moment in 10 seconds doesn't do justice to what it was like at the ballpark. So one of the things that I do when that happens is I go on YouTube, I type in the player's name and I do a search by date. So basically the most recent things pop up at the top. And actually that way it gives you a more accurate feel of what it's like in the ballpark and you get these minute 90 second long clips and there's an awesome shot from down the first baseline where you slowly start to see the fans standing up you can clearly see the video board it's not saying make noise he hits the ball you see the trajectory flying out to left center but then you get him rounding the bases and just the chaos in the ballpark it did feel like a playoff game and there's just some ways i think that fans capture the moment better than the TV cameras do, which are almost too professional some of the time. I love watching the fan reaction. Some great shots from Wrigley Field last
1: night. And we would be remiss if we did not mention, as we do every time there's a huge moment at Wrigley, the Spanish language call from awesome. Miguel Esparza on the the Spanish language radio, where it's great you get this... this Flow of Spanish. And then he just throws in a Wrigley Field grand slam. He said Wrigley Field exploda, which I don't know a ton of Spanish, but I think I get the gist of it. And again, it adds to it, especially great that it's a, a, a Spanish speaking player who hit that as well, which probably makes it even better on the Spanish language call. And again, every part of it, every part of it was just a fantastic moment. And I want to give him credit for something there too, because I generally
0: don't like this tradition here in the social media era where play-by-play broadcasters put a camera on themselves. Because to me, that's not what a play-by-play broadcaster should be doing. You are not the story here. It's the athletes and what they achieve that are the story. But there was something different about watching that one last night. I know this guy is a Cubs fan. He's a Chicago sports fan. He is a Chicagoan. And if you watch that minute clip that he puts out there, After all the excitement of the Grand Slam, there's a smile on his face that you cannot fake, right? That, to me, was really kind of a cool moment seeing that. So while I'm generally not a big favor of play-by-play broadcasters sort of injecting them into the story like that, it was different the way that he did that, and it actually was kind of wholesome to me. I I don't know, I could be a little bit territorial about the way some play-by-play broadcasters act. That one felt really cool, and it's a clip that I think every fan should see.
2: It was really cool, and it was pretty good. And to go back to your point a little bit about you know just the ballpark in general, and watching the the longer clip, um, you know the crowd was into it on that three one count before the pitch was even thrown. Uh, Like that that crowd was into that situation. So that when the home run uh, hit, that was just the like eruption that of everything that had been building. It wasn't a crowd that was you know sitting on their hands on their seat, not really you know feeling it. That was there was like that anticipation, that kind of momentum and it was just a capper and i think that's like think about it it's april 11th i believe you know yeah. in, in 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 chicago at wrigley field and you're getting like that playoff atmosphere moment um which is just nuts and there's very few places in major league baseball where you see that and uh it's just just you have to recognize how special we have it and the cubs have it to be able to have something like that
1: And just to make things just a little bit better and a little bit brighter, something we touched upon last week, the the new lights at Wrigley, these of course being the first two night games of the season, I was a little skeptical. Like, why are we all talking about the lights? But I, I do have to say it does look a whole lot brighter and a whole lot sharper on TV. The colors of Wrigley at night really pop. The white of the jerseys, the blue, the uh, the green of the railings and such, they really do pop. And I haven't been to a night game yet this season, um, and I'm, I'm sure I will at some point. But even on TV, you can tell it is a lot brighter, and that makes for a better broadcast because everything just really pops.
2: It definitely was brighter. It like looked so much. You could just tell on the screen that because really always kind of looked kind of dark or damp, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, and you're like, but this, it almost looked, you finally got like that feel of like, okay. um, You know, some almost daytime baseball, not quite daytime baseball, because obviously, but you're, you're seeing the brightness, and you're seeing everything. And so I, it was, it was impressive to see how much of an upgrade that truly was. And, and You know, I always kind of like Wrigley being Wrigley and a little different, but it was nice to be able to watch on the screen and not have everything seem so dark.
0: A hundred percent. Yeah, I definitely noticed it turning it on. And our buddy and former guest here on the show, MBD Chicago, that's at MBD Chicago. He was given sort of comparison photos from years past and this year. And that guy's a photographer. So he noticed what he's talking about. He understands lighting. I certainly noticed it. I, I thought it was neat at the end of the game, you know, Something that I was worried about last week was, are the Cubs going to do the flashing lights for home runs? If you're not going to do flashing lights on a grand slam in that moment, it's not going to happen on home runs. So kudos to the Cubs, in my opinion, for not going that route. At the same time, at the end of the game, the walk-off win for Nico, the lights are flashing, and then they end in this W pattern Pretty neat touch there from the Cubs to include that. And I do like that. So I'm for the post-game flashing. I am not for the post-home run flashing unless it's a walk-off home run. That makes sense.
1: Yeah, and I I didn't know that they were going to do that flash the W thing. You know, it feels... The slightest bit artificial, it already has a hashtag and a short hashtag, light the W, which, okay, it's the sort of thing right now, I'm like, okay, it feels a little too artificial, but I suspect that if this Cubs team stays competitive and we get a lot of, you know, great summer night home wins and we are getting those lights flashing the W, I'll probably warm up to it. Uh, I, but yeah, it, you know, it just feels like a, a lot of people knew this was coming and they have the t-shirts and the hashtag pre-planned out. It doesn't feel 100% organic, but that's okay. I will probably warm up to it if the Cubs give us enough reason to keep seeing it.
2: Well, everything has to start somewhere, Randall. And, uh, you know, things aren't real until you treat them as, as real. So hopefully I, I agree with you. Like it becomes a thing where, you know, that W we see it a lot and, you know, they had the wind w that used to flash as well yeah. on the scoreboard um but this w i like a little bit more and so i i thought it was kind of cool it, it's interesting um it gives you a little bit more you know a little bit more flavor to the to wrigley um but we'll see like I, it's still even when you're looking at it though it's not like the most obvious thing to see it in a w like you just kind of the lights and you're like oh that's kind of making a w right um, because of
1: course Each light is, you know, pointed at a different part of the park. You have to be at a certain angle to see the full W because each, you know, each bulb is tilted a little differently. You see, it's not immediately obvious if you're not at the perfect angle. But uh, you know, you see the right photos, you see the right footage. You be like, oh, I see it. Yeah, there's definitely a W in there.
2: Exactly. But I don't fault them for trying to like add something new or something. And it doesn't really like. It's not something that takes away from the ballpark. I think it's not something that that feels like totally out. Of line like you know we all have our feelings on Clark being on the field and waving the W flag at the end or whatever, but like this is just something simple of flashing certain light bulbs in a shape at the end of a game. Um, it, it to me it's really it's not something like I find that off to- off putting or anything. So I'm I'm for it.
1: it it's certainly no more artificial and planned than everything else around and in Wrigley right now so I'm, it's certainly not egregious it's certainly not worse than anything uh I, again it just doesn't feel 100% organic but that's a nitpick nothing is 100% organic we haven't had 100% organic since Miguel Magatero declared we are good that was the last 100% organic and that's okay
2: well there well, was also a try not to suck by Joe Madden
1: yeah but i'm talking about things that like i enjoy repeating you can't say try not to suck in polite company you can say we are good in polite company
2: well i got the shirt i wear it
0: well i think the cubs dodge two bullets when it comes to lighting one again i'm so happy they don't do it after every home run really more than anything because one you're kind of being lemmings at this point because every other team in baseball does it i just didn't think that fit the vibe of wrigley Field. So yeah, they're doing it at Yankee Stadium. Of course they do it at Dodger Stadium. It didn't need to happen at Wrigley Field. And I'm glad that somebody in that marketing office said, you know what, we're not going to do that for this. At least up to this point, it's not in the cards for the Chicago Cubs here. Um, the other thing here is if you remember the early renderings of the renovations of Wrigley Field, they were going to build additional light towers in the right field, and left field corner beyond the outfield fence. And they looked terrible. Honestly, it looked like just throwing in minor league lights on Wrigley Field. The light stanchions at Wrigley Field are perfect. They're beautifully designed. There's a lot of detail in it. It looks like it's a lot older than they actually are, but we avoided those massive light towers in the outfield. The ballpark definitely looks brighter, and I think that's a win in the long run. If you don't know what I'm talking about, type in Wrigley Field renovation early renderings, you're going to see those light towers. They stick out like sore thumbs. We have avoided that, and yet they've still been able to improve the lighting in the ballpark. That's win-win to me.
2: Definitely. And we've avoided a lot of things out there in the yes. outfield. Uh, I remember the the tall fences and the balloons and everything that uh, that wasn't going to be Wrigley Field. But I agree with you. Uh, no, no more just giant, you know, light yeah. stanchions. And uh, I think it looks pretty good. I, I, I got to say, like, it's nice to see like a kind of a clean, crisp game being played. And mm-hmm. it, the lighting looks very good to watch.
0: One thing I also noticed with the lighting is, so the seating, I'm sorry, the the playing surface is so much brighter, but the seating bowl now is darker, right? So when you get that shot from like the press box out on the field, the seating bowl is super dark now because the field is even brighter than it used to be. So that's going to take a little bit of getting used to, um, but you know, it took getting used to simply putting lights in that ballpark. And all these years later, again, the light stanchions themselves look really cool and Wrigley is evolving, but this appears to be a more tactful way that it's evolving into this next generation of baseball
1: yeah. just imagine telling someone on that that first night game at wrigley field that someday these lights are going to be flashing w's after a win and you know you'd probably be messing with the timeline so i don't recommend doing that but if there are any time travelers out there listening uh do that do that and then erase any knowledge of it and then let me know what happens because i'm a little bit curious um, something from
0: last night at Coors Field, speaking about flashing lights. I was at the Cardinals-Rockies game last night. Good fifth inning for the Rockies. Ryan McMahon hits a bomb, three-run homer to center field. couple batters later, C.J. Crone hits a tank onto the concor- concourse in left field. I've seen C.J. Crone hit a lot of big home runs the last couple years. Last night was up there, but for the McMahon home run, they did the flashing lights. Crone hits a home run a couple batters later no flashing lights. And I thought, is there like a quota here in baseball? You get like one flashing lights an inning. It was just weird to me. I was looking up the lights like, all right, here we go. Let's do it. And it never happened for Crone. So I thought he got robbed a little bit there by the Coors Field lights people.
1: CJ Crone did not pay his $8 light flashing fee. You know, they were back to back too. So
0: I do wonder if there's kind of a rule on that. I saw Wrigley Field for the night games this week had an epilepsy warning Put up on the video board because of flashing lights that's not something we grew up with seeing at wrigley field when we went to the ballpark
2: no it's not it's not and uh just to go off of monster home runs if you will uh today there were a couple yes mammoth home runs at wrigley field unfortunately not for the cubs uh but i want to give some props out to the dudes in the bleachers who had some pretty epic throws Throwing those balls back, the first one actually reached the infield out of bounces, and the second one was pretty close to reaching the interval from deep in center field, so I just want to give some props to the guys that threw those balls out. Those are some good arms. I was pretty impressed out there, uh, but some mammoth home runs, the longest in the StatCast era. Uh, Jared Kelnick, who the Cubs have apparently revitalized his career the yeah. last couple of days. days. Um, good for him. You know, we don't really see him that often, so he'll be gone. But uh, that and I guess the previous long one and it's still the longest was a postseason game. Wilson Contreras hit, which I was at both those games. So that was that's pretty cool. But uh, uh, some mammoth, mammoth home runs today.
1: Yeah, I'm very glad Jared Kelenic won't play the Cubs enough to qualify as a Cubs killer because he clearly woke up. You know, he he was revitalized by Wrigley. Maybe someday he'll decide he wants to play at Wrigley. Find a spot on the bench for Mr. Jared Kelenic because your whole outfield is great and locked up. But yeah, Cubs did a a number on revitalizing his his young career this week.
2: And not too far from home as he's
0: a Wisconsin boy. Well, that home run he hit today was Sammy Sosaland. You do not see many balls above the concourse walk area in center field, just below the scoreboard. Uh, 482, is that what I saw? Yeah. It was the distance on it. Just a monster, monster shot. Uh, the Bellinger bomb, though, also a decent shot out to right field there. Unfortunately, too late for the Cubs when he hit that in the ninth.
2: It was a day, and it was, as I mentioned earlier, um, but it was it's kind of impressive how well, how there weren't really that many balls that were hit like that because not a lot of guys got the ball in the air today because both pitchers did a great job keeping the ball down and it was a day today where on certain different pitchers I think uh, there, this could have been another 15-10 day and I think it's pretty impressive it was only 5-2 because it was, it was blowing out it was warm the ball was traveling I there should have been more home runs today in my opinion Yeah.
1: and a- another reason I'm glad that the Mariners are on their way sailing sailing out of Chicago I guess through the Great Lakes uh, Eugenio Suarez, Eugenio, according <laughs> to Pat. And of course, Colton Wong, two former NL Central thorns in the side of the Cubs. Two guys I'd hoped I'd never really have to see again. But that's the marvel of the balanced schedule is that guy those two guys you'd hoped you'd never had to see again. They show up back at Wrigley with their smirking goblin-like visages and you got to deal with them again, which I guess is the, yeah. the, the marvel of the modern schedule.
2: The Cubs organist, when Eugenio Suarez came up, played I Dream of Genie, which I thought was kind of interesting. And I was thinking, obviously, that has to be for the, the G-E-N-I. That's in right. In the middle of that name. And that was because I was like, I Dream of Genie. That's kind of interesting. And a lot of, uh, you know, Seattle sound today on the Orkin. Mm. Uh The first three innings were like Nirvana songs. And the fourth inning was a Pearl Jam song. And I'm like, oh, oh we're getting a lot of... Get a lot of organ today, Nirvana and Pearl Jam. I, I was liking that off the organ,
1: Jeremy. That's absolutely your beat on this show: is being at Wrigley and your your super sensitive ears picking out what organ songs uh, are are of Seattle origins. That's one hundred percent your beat here on Behind the Yellow Line.
2: It was a good day for that.
0: Well, and speaking of retro TV shows, you talk about, like, I Dream of Jeannie. Uh, Pat and Ron today on the radio, we're talking about Gilligan's Island, of all things, during the ballgame today. Actually, a really funny exchange between Coomer and Pat about the boats out on Lake Michigan. Uh, Coomdog has totally grown on me as a broadcaster with the Cubs it was really not sold on him those first few years he's really coming to his own as the analyst that I I've enjoyed listening to him just a really fun natural moment today with him and Pat talking about Gilligan's Island and whether
1: or not Pat Hughes owns any boats and you know the the pregame intro where the the recorded intro says and now here's the voice of the Cubs he, Pat Hughes is not just the voice of the Cubs here's the voice of the Cubs Hall of Famer Pat Hughes. That that intro rightfully adjusted, because Pat Hughes is a Hall of Famer. And, you know, you mentioned that Coomer has grown on you. There was an exchange near the end of the game today. It would have been probably sometime in the ninth inning, based on my memory. And... Coomer said he was going to go off and like think about something, and Pat kind of dryly goes, let me know how that works out for you, partner. And think Coomer knows his limitations, perhaps as an intellectual, and as an individual, I think he's happy to lean into that. And Coomer retorted, yeah, I'll think about it in about an hour and a half into that four-hour flight to the West Coast. I'm going to co- come over on the plane, poke you, and wake you up for your nap. So the the interplay is very, very natural between the two. They're very comfortable. You can tell they enjoy uh, being on the broadcast together. And again, Coomer, I think kind of knows that he's he's the comic relief in uh this particular broadcast who's more so than the ron who sat in the booth before him i don't think santo ever i think he knew he was the comic relief but i think he thought he was being completely serious a lot of the time coomer i think buys into that a little bit more
2: he was interacting with the fans today you know just leading out of the 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 radio booth and saying hi to people. And so he, he was loving it. So it's it's actually fun to see Kumar around the ballpark. And uh I agree with you, he's grown on me. As long as he's not doing play by play in the fifth inning, I'm starting to enjoy him.
1: Well it's him, it's him or Zaidman. Who do you pick?
2: Well, uh, at least Zaidman talk. Yeah, at least David says what's happening on the field.
1: Does he though?
0: Does he? I I got lots of issues with that guy. I don't even want to get into uh, Mr. Zaidman today. I was talking to you guys on Sunday. There's no way on MLB TV to play the television audio without video streaming. And I was up in the mountains a bit this weekend. Cell reception is already rocky. I didn't want to hear Zaidman. I just wanted to hear Pat, and there's no way to do that natively. If you've got the video feed, you can add the radio audio, but you cannot have the audio from TV without the video feed. Again, mlb.tv, MLB. Call me. I got lots of advice here on how to make this service a little bit better. A little bit frustrated with the broadcast experience up to this point, but it was certainly fun listening to Pat and Coomer today. You know, the Cubs did lose today, but we've been very rosy. I'm still feeling very good. I'm happy with the start for the Cubs this year at 6-5. and five. The contract extensions for Nico and Ian, yeah, I wanted them to win today, but I'm feeling really good before this West Coast swing starts off here. But that said, there's been some rocky things with the Cubs as well. And I want to ask about Hayden Wesneski because I wasn't able to watch the game last night at a different MLB game. He got shelled. What happened here? What went wrong last night for Hayden, who we're all still very optimistic about?
1: Yeah, the umpire wasn't doing him any favors. He wasn't getting the corners. That second inning, his defense did him absolutely no favors. The ball that uh, his first base from Mancini couldn't hang on to. The normally very sure-handed middle infield not only failed to... To turn a double play they failed to get an out on what seemed like it would have been at least one if not a double play so the defense did him no favors the umpires did him no favors but he still couldn't find the zone and i hate that umpiring is such that if you are struggling you're not going to get strikes that are strikes but that is the nature of human umpires so it's not all on him but so far it hasn't been great from him he doesn't have his command The slider isn't quite biting the way it was in spring, which is atypical. It's harder to pitch in Arizona than it is to pitch in some other climates. So it's just one of those things you hope he's going to get sorted out. I think we've seen too much good work from him to think that he won't or at least won't get all the runway he needs to try and figure it out. In the early going, though, it's been disappointing.
2: I still have faith in him. I still think he's going to be a solid uh, addition this season. He, uh, Yeah, it was just kind of a combination of things yesterday and his first start, really where, you know, it just kind of got the ball rolling. And then one thing led to another thing. You know, there's some weak contact that gets to a hit that you can't get guys put away, some defensive miscues. Next thing you know, there's some hard hit balls, um, not quite getting the whiffs that you you were kind of expecting on some of these pitches, like the slider, as Randall mentioned. Um, And a lot of balls being put in play. So, but I look at it like the Mariners are, that's a tough offense. Like, yeah, I, I, that they hit a lot they have a lot of guys in that lineup that hit a lot of balls hard if Kelnick's on on which he has been you know Rodriguez Tascar Hernandez hit balls hard uh there's a lot of guys in that lineup that Cal Raleigh can hit balls hard uh Suarez we all know what goes on like that one homer was kind of a cheapy but that's what happens with Suarez at Wrigley uh so it just was but I still have faith in him I I think he's going to be I I I don't want to take too much away from these two starts. I think he's going to come out big and I think he's going to be a real key cog in this rotation.
0: Yeah. Long, long, long way to go. That goes without really needing to be said, but very happy with the Cubs at 6-5 and five right here. And now a fun road trip. You go to Los Angeles for a couple of nights. You go to Oakland for a couple of nights. We've seen a transaction with the Cubs here. Javier Assad sent down to Iowa. The game plan there is to stretch him out, make him a viable arm for the starting rotation. That also brought up Nelson Velazquez, which means the Cubs have three outfielders on the big league roster, something they didn't have coming out of spring training. We're always ready, though, for that next transaction. Is there another move that you're sort of ready for the Cubs to make at this juncture?
1: Yeah, you know, as much as the conditions at Wrigley matched his name this week, I think Julian Merriweather, you're seeing why a guy with such a live arm was given up on so easily. He's got great velocity, but the results have not been there. And I think, you know, it is only two weeks. I don't know that you necessarily need to jettison him immediately, but I do think you have more than enough hard throwing, very capable relief prospects uh, at AAA alone that if he doesn't work out, you need to be ready to move on. And he's a reliever. That's the most shuttled in and out position on the roster. So I do think they will if it gets to that point. And I want to say, actually, Ronan, you mentioned earlier that you have this jinxing power that Jeremy and I both fear very heavily. Uh, I, I'm sad to say I jinxed a Cubs relief prospect, Ben Leeper, whom I've been talking up for two seasons now. Sadly, he had yet another Tommy John surgery, which I believe is oh. the second or the third of his career. He obviously will be out this season. That's unfortunate. He was a guy who had great velocity and did great work. So I just wanted to get that mentioned. I wanted to own that jinx. On my part, because so I'm always pointing out your jinxes. It's only fair yeah. I own up to mine that uh, I apparently jinxed poor Ben Leeper into yet another Tommy John surgery. But, yeah, Julian Merriweather, he's on the bubble for me. I think if you get another week or two of him just not cutting it, cut bait. And you've got some pretty decent guys at AAA who could fill that spot just as well.
2: Uh For me, uh, and I know there's a lot of factors that go into this, but – I, there's a few guys down there in Iowa that at some point you you kind of want to see on this Cubs roster, and I know uh, a guy like Miles Mastroboni who still has options, but not really quite cutting it. I know he can play the outfield a little bit. Uh, Christopher Morrell has been on fire, and I know you want him to play every day. You want to get you don't want him riding the bench in the majors, but he's been a guy who's been kind of you know hitting pretty well, doing lots of things really well. I think he deserves to be on the majors on on merit. And you have miles master Boney up there. If he's playing the outfit, I know say is going to come back soon. So it's not really that big of a deal, but I feel like he could take that master role. I, and especially we don't know what's up with Swanson. It sounds good. It sounds like everything's yeah. gonna be good, but I, I just, you want him to play every day. So I understand why he's in Iowa, but it just feels like on merit. He's a guy that feels like is one of your 25 or 26 best players. And you know him, and I feel similarly about Mervis as well. But I don't know what they're going to do there. But Morel feels like a guy you could kind of fit in the, in this moment.
1: Jeremy, one hundred percent. I don't think it's necessarily Morel for Mastroboni. We I think we know why Mastroboni is on this roster based on where he has gotten his starts, and I think we know what he's destined for. Hopefully, very soon. Something I know we'll touch on shortly. Um, so I think I think that eventual swap and hopefully shortly, I think, is evident. Morrell, you know, I think it's a question of who is Morel better than and the answer is probably quite a few players. But if it comes down to jettisoning Madrigal in favor of Morrell, yeah. do you do that? And the answer is maybe.
2: I don't think they will. I think they're going to keep Madrigal around as long as possible unless they trade him. I think he's on this roster. I don't think he's going down. A guy like Boney I could see easily going down. Sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's been performing, magical yeah. for the most part. He's hitting.
0: Well, there are more moves coming, and today was actually a huge day for the Cubs farm system. A couple of big bullet points. Jeremy, you were talking about Matt Mervis. He's doing everything right right now in Iowa. He's slugging. He's getting on base at about a 400 clip. Already three home runs on the season. He's got the same number of strikeouts as walks. I think that's a really, really encouraging sign for Matt Mervis. But other highlights to the minor leagues here tonight we're recording this the night of wednesday april 12 Seiya suzuki playing for iowa he hits a home run that's a welcome sight here we're ready to get him out every day in right field at wrigley field
1: and seya suzuki uh you know we talk all the time about adjusting to uh, a new culture of course the iowa cubs game they played a night game last night tuesday night uh, the game went late, and of course, Seiya had to get some work done with the trainers, guy coming off the oblique injury. He apparently couldn't do media for the Des Moines media because he wanted to get Qdoba, and it closed at <laughs> 10, which is very funny. Seiya Suzuki, uh, of course, from Japan, and he really wants that fast, casual, uh, I can call it Mexican food if you, if you want. He really wants that fast, casual burrito or nachos, and that's very funny to me because I can just imagine Seiya saying that, and it, it just brings a smile to my face. That's very funny.
2: A good thing the uh, Cubs were able to keep him away from San Diego because I'm sure they have a lot better uh, burritos there than Cadoba. Uh, but also, Saya sounding like he, he himself talking about the fact that he's going to be on this road trip, that he's coming back. So uh, happy to see Saya really get back into things. And it's nice to, as you mentioned, we finally got a third outfielder in Velazquez. Well, I think we'll really have our outfield good to go and Saya is back in the roster.
1: Yeah, of course, the word from Jed this week is that he kind of hinted that they, barring any setbacks, of course, a knock on wood, that they expect him back on this West Coast swing. I'm wondering if, you know, with him homering today... It, wouldn't, it, it sounds like they want him to get like 50, 60 at-bats, like a short spring training's worth of plate appearances. So I would be a little bit surprised if he shows up for the start of that Dodger series, but it certainly sounds like he might meet them in Oakland potentially and rejoin the roster. And again, that would be great. When, when that oblique injury hit, we all thought it was going to be, what, the beginning of May, middle mm-hmm. May until yeah. he was back. And it seems like he's healthy. It seems like he's hitting without any pain and knock on every piece of wood you can find. And, you know, hopefully he doesn't re-aggravate anything and he's back on this West Coast swing. And that's something I'm looking forward to because we've seen the right field defense has not completely been up to par nope. with him not on the roster.
2: I, I thought Saya himself said he was planning on rejoining this weekend. Even oh, better. Yeah. I'll take yeah, it. Yeah, Works for me. Him yeah that's whatever he was saying. Like, I'm rejoining the Cubs this weekend. And if Saya says it, yeah.
1: his name is literally Say yeah. So if, if he says it, I believe him.
0: Well, an off day for the Cubs Thursday, three in Los Angeles, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday afternoon, and then three up the coast in Oakland for three games against the Athletics. Uh, one more note in the farm here, huge day for A Cubs prospect, 20-year-old Owen Casey. Not one, not two, three home runs on Wednesday night in A. Just an amazing statement. What a night for him.
1: And you, you know he's Canadian because he hit those three home runs on his mother's birthday. Nothing is more polite than giving mom three home runs for her birthday. So that's how you know he's Canadian.
2: And he'd been kind of struggling a little bit to start this. see, not that the minor league guys started like a week after the major guys, so there's really no sample, but I was a little surprised to see him earlier in the week, like batting seventh in the lineup and he had like a 550 OPS. And I was like, all right, Oh, and it's time to get it going. Well, he got it going today. He had three home runs. And so it's pretty impressive. And hopefully uh, he can keep that going. I'm a big fan of Casey. He had a home run in the world baseball classic. That was a bomb. Um, so let's keep it going
0: well the Cubs go again on the road this weekend three games in LA three games in Oakland I always look forward to the games at Dodger Stadium it's an awesome looking historic ballpark and then you've got Oakland one of the more iconic <laughs> stadiums let's call it that in Major League Baseball these days and it got me thinking Boy, it's been a few years since the Cubs had been to Oakland Randall what was the date of the last Cubs baseball game in Oakland California
1: the last time the Cubs played in a beautiful Oakland, I'm not even going to bother to remember what the stadium was called then, what it's called now, whatever, at Oakland Stadium, August 7th, 2016. That was the conclusion yeah. of a three-game uh, weekend series in Oakland, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They played a uh, day game out there in Oakland, uh, so Sunday, August 7th, uh, a historic day in Cubs history, the last time they played in Oakland. A few things have changed since uh, 2016, just a few.
0: Yeah, but not the ballpark there. It not continues at all. to fall apart in Northern California. It must have been some names all over that starting lineup.
1: Uh, it's basically a who's who of who did good things for the Cubs in 2016. You had Fowler leading off, Bryant at third, Rizzo at first, ben Zobrist playing right. Addison Russell was at short. Jorge Soler was DHing because, of course, you did not have the universal DH. So a chance to get Jorge Soler off his feet a little bit. Contreras was catching. Javier Baez was playing second base, and Matt Caesar. Got the start in uh, left field that game with Soler DHing, and he actually had uh, two hits in that game. Good for him, and it was a well-pitched game as well. Kyle Hendricks gave you seven and a third of one-run ball. He was followed by Strope and Chapman for the hold and the save. So a pretty typical 2016 game, especially against a bad opponent. All the names you would expect doing the things you would expect.
0: Classic, classic names all over that lineup. Uh, I, I just pick any box score from 2016. You're going to smile when you look at that starting line. and go, oh, yeah, I remember that game. I remember that moment. Uh, I, I had the opportunity to go to Oakland. It was 2014. I went to a Major League Baseball game at Oakland, and I remember Jeff Samarja pitching that night to Giovanni Soto. And I was so excited, sitting back behind home plate, and I saw those guys playing for the Oakland Athletics. And um, it's a tough ballpark. It is not my favorite ballpark by any means in Major League Baseball, but I don't think it's the worst. I've also been to Tampa Bay. I actually think that is a worse baseball experience than going to a ball game in Oakland. And something that stood out to me about Oakland that you don't see anymore in outdoor ballparks there is no roof at all on an overhang over the seating bowl right? So you're sitting in the ballpark and you look up, you don't get an overhang like you have at Coors or Wrigley or most ballparks. You have this massive sky up above you. So even though you don't have much beyond center field, that is a weird thing. It's a circular stadium. And when you look up, there's a whole bunch of sky. You normally don't get that experience. That was something that stood out to me in addition to the rats in the ballpark that really fallen apart.
1: The, the possums, you say it's a massive sky. It reminds me of spring training every year. They say it's a high sky. Like, mm-hmm. is the sky ever, is the sky ever not? High and massive. Just funny how we phrase that. You know, I don't know if I ever noticed that about uh, Oakland Stadium. But again, I'm not going to look up what it's called at this point. Uh, Oakland Stadium that I I don't think I ever noticed that there was no overhang. That's something that uh, Oakland Stadium has in common with Impact Field, where the Chicago Dogs play. They're both just big concrete bowls and they all both don't have any kind of overhang over the seating area. So something that uh, Oakland can say they have in common with a local independent team.
2: I think you can safely call it the Coliseum because I feel like it's always been the Coliseum. Sure, but yeah, works for me. that's uh that's a interesting uh, ballpark out there from, you know, kind of that old cookie cutter kind of mold with Mount Davis out there in yeah. center field that you can't see the mountains anymore, I guess. But I, w- I always kind of wanted to, you know, get over there and get a chance to see a game there. Who knows how much longer they'll be there. So I don't know if We'll have that opportunity, but I can see why just, you know, from being outside being why you would like it more than Tampa, which looks kind of ugly. I've been outside of the Tampa Bay Rays uh down there in, in uh, St. Pete, which it does not look very pic- picturesque when you're there. Um, so, but yeah, that's kind of a cool moment—the Cubs being back in Oakland this year. Because I really don't recall those games that much in 2016. I don't recall them playing out uh, the green in uh, Oakland, the green and gold. So uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it this week.
1: Yeah, you know, I don't think there was anything particularly noteworthy or memorable. The memorable about those games, the Cubs swept the series as you would expect, and uh, you know, it was a, a weekend series. So you've got a late Friday. You've got a Friday night. West Coast game. You've got Saturday afternoon and Saturday evening and Sunday afternoon West Coast games. So real easy for those to kind of go unnoticed because they're of course later. Um, yeah, now Ronan, as someone who has been to both Oakland, the Coliseum, as Jeremy informed me, they call it still, and Tropicana Field, is the sunlight is is at least being outdoors in Oakland. Is that the difference between it being that much better if marginally versus Tropicana Field? Well, it's always better to be outside no question about it. And the climate in Northern
0: California is awesome and bizarre too. Like you see Giants games in July, people are wearing winter coats, it's foggy, all that stuff is really neat. Um, But there's nothing like it, right? They don't design stadiums like that anymore. I mentioned the fact that there's no roof. You don't experience that when you go to Major League Baseball parks. That's what stood out to me. It's not a great place. I'm not trying to sell anybody on that. I think what's happened to the Oakland Athletics franchise is deplorable. They've got some of the worst owners in major league baseball they have decimated a wonderful fan base there and i am just hoping that they find a way to stay in oakland they can get a new ballpark they can get a new ownership group because it really pisses me off when forbes and these other journals say wow the oakland athletics were, had some of the best revenue in Major League Baseball last year. Some of the biggest profits, rather, in Major League Baseball last year. And they've got this miserable payroll. They're playing in a ballpark that's falling apart. And they're drawing, like, announced attendances right now of, like, 3,700 for Major League Baseball games. You're talking about the Salt Lake Bees doubling the attendance of the Oakland Athletics. That's really messed up. And it's horrible because this is incompetent, greedy ownership that has led to this problem in, in Oakland. You talk to a generation of baseball fans that's about 10 years older than us They've got a very different memory of what the Oakland Athletics were all about in those late 1980s and early 1990s. And what that ballpark was like before they put those extra seats in center field to satisfy the Raiders. It's just a shame. And if that franchise ends up moving to Las Vegas or somewhere else, it's going to be a real travesty. And it's 100% owners to blame for this.
1: And You mentioned the Salt Lake Bees. Uh, Jeff Passon reporting earlier today, uh, Salt Lake City Consortium, led by the former Jazz ownership, plans to pursue a Major League Baseball expansion franchise in Salt Lake City in the coming years. That doesn't mean anything. They can pursue it all they want. But you mentioned the Salt Lake Bees uh, doubling up Oakland on attendance. And that just made me think of baseball in Salt Lake, especially at the Major League level.
0: That's not the answer, right? There's a number of viable markets before Salt Lake. Although, as a baseball fan living in the Rocky Mountains region, it'd be great to be able to drive to a ballpark that's fewer than 11 hours away from Denver. So that would be one perk of a team maybe being in Salt Lake. But I was telling my buddy, who's a Rockies fan, uh, Salt Lake for me would be 10th on the list of like viable cities where you could put another Major League Baseball team.
2: I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. You certainly get the the thin air again there and the ball yeah. would uh, travel. But yeah, just going back to Oakland, uh, it, it, that's an organization that has been for a long period of time for, it's has up and downs lately over the past 10 years or so. But even at that team, you mentioned that 2014 team, that was a really good baseball team. They've had really good baseball yeah. teams over the years. And it's kind of just been a team that this year and the last year has been pretty much stripped for parts. Uh, Just sell, sold off pretty much anyone. Who was kind of worth a damn on that, on that, or in that organization. And they're publicly, you know, trying to flirt with other cities, other, you know, locations. That's obviously going to drive away fans when they're not competitive. Yeah. They're publicly flirting with going to Las Vegas. And I feel for all those people in Oakland, first they saw the Raiders go to Vegas. Now if they A's just go to Vegas, just to be with the Raiders again, that that would just be crazy to me. So hopefully they do end up getting something done in Oakland, because as you said, for a long time, I mean, you, you mentioned the eighties and the early nineties, but even like the seventies, the, they won three straight world series in the seventies, just a fantastic organization. And, you know, They got that green and gold color scheme. There's so many things about the Oakland A's that are like the elephant, the white shoes that are like, they're kind of iconic. And it would be nice for that organization to be competitive again. And it's an old organization dating all the way back to Philadelphia. You're right. And
1: not just a, a historic organization. It's a, an organization that by virtue of their front office kind of helped herald in the modern age of analytics. And it, like you said, Jeremy, it's a franchise that has, just had a lot that's been through a lot from the moves to, you know, we all think of the Oakland teams in the seventies. We all think of the green and gold and like, it's just a franchise. that has been on hard times. And Ronan, like you said, it's self-inflicted hard times. It it doesn't have to be this way. And uh, those poor Oakland fans out there who are renowned for being just wild and crazy and fun. They haven't had a whole lot to celebrate in recent times.
0: I I honestly think a new ballpark, a new ownership group, we'd see a completely different embrace of the Oakland Athletics in Northern California, where there are millions of baseball fans. And they do enjoy that cross-region games there, even the exhibition games at the start of the year where the Giants and the Athletics play each other before opening up the regular season. It would be terrible for baseball if we lost that team from Oakland to a place like Las Vegas, but it's going to play out in the next couple of years. Um, Elsewhere in baseball, as we continue to zoom out here, and speaking of the Tampa Bay Rays, are they ever going to lose 12-0 and to open the season. An incredible run from the Tampa Bay Rays.
2: Just, I mean, uh, what can you say about the Rays? Uh, A fantastic organization just all around in terms of actually putting out, like, competitive baseball. Now you might argue with the way they do it, you know, selling off on certain guys, you know, never really kind of home-growing, not keeping guys around. But they're very good at what they do. And they're always competitive for the most part. And they just bring up all these guys out of nowhere. Like, you're going to get this one look of this, all these different pitchers are are just dominant. And it's just a crazy how good they are. And it's it, you you have to respect their ability to play competitive baseball. Uh, say what you want, as I said, about the way they do it. But they're going to be night in night out a competitive team. And so you just wish that they could get something to get that following that they deserve.
1: Yeah, I, I've advocated for years that the Rays and Marlins should exchange ballparks and markets. You're still not going to get anyone paying attention to the Rays, but at least they'll get a nice modern facility to play in. And meanwhile, there would be no no greater match between organization and ballpark than the Marlins playing in Tropicana Field. I think that would just be absolutely perfect. You said, are the Rays ever going to lose? Yes, they're going to remain undefeated until Monday, May 29th. Um, at which point they will come into Wrigley and then the Cubs will hand them their first loss of the season. So I'm going to call that now. And finally, you know, great team. You say, well, break up the Rays. No need. That's ownership's job. They will take care of that at some point. Pretty wild,
2: It's crazy how their, like, playoff odds have changed, like on fan graphs. Like, they were – they had high playoff odds, but you had the Yankees, you had the Blue Jays in that division. I think they were something like – 79 percent to enter entering the year maybe 78 percent make the playoffs so they're over 90 now and that's just from winning their first 12 games and so it's like oh they're pretty much a lock to make the playoffs so it's just it's very impressive yeah
0: Yeah, hot start from the Tampa Bay Rays. That American League East is going to be quite the battle here. Yankees also off to a good start this year. Toronto, another team with a chance to win that division, playing good baseball out of the gate here. Uh, A team not playing good baseball that I have seen twice in the last week is the Colorado Rockies. Saw them get the Nationals on Friday night, opening night at Coors Field, and then last night against the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, (laughs) This is a really bad Colorado Rockies team. Maybe one of the worst in the history of the organization. This team's going to lose a lot of games. Something is not right, though, about Chris Bryant. I love Chris Bryant. I'll cheer for him until the day that he retires His arm is just in terrible shape in right field, just making horrible throws back into the infield. The power appears to be zapped. He is still yet to hit a home run at Coors Field as a Colorado Rocky. That includes his time last year, which was injury plagued. It just doesn't seem right, and it's sad to see a guy who we saw the National College Player of the Year, the Minor League Player of the Year, the Rookie of the Year, the MVP in consecutive
1: years, really appear to be a shell of himself at this point in his career. Well, that's that's just an insane stat that a guy with the, the easy light tower power that we saw from Chris Bryan at the start of his career goes to one of the easiest parks to homer in in major leagues as his home park. And in, you know, what's probably like a three quarters of a season, a season's worth of plate appearances between last year and this year, he hasn't homered yet. And that's insane. That's the sort of thing that if I were a Rockies fan, which I'm kind of glad I'm not, if I were a Rockies fan, that would just drive me up a wall. Like, how is that possible?
2: It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, you did mention the injuries and I think that's really what it is. It's just, I think he's, he's not, he, the injuries have really sapped him of a lot of things since I want to say like around 2018, 2019, like he was not, he wasn't even the same player in 2018, 2019 that he was in 2015, 2016, like 2015, 2016. He was a fantastic best player at baseball type player. He was hitting tons of power. And he just, I think interest over time, just kind of sapped him with a lot of things and it's tough. Like he's a big guy. He's a big guy. So him playing yeah. third base is going to wear on him and playing in the outfield. Now it's going to wear a big outfield like that in Colorado. And you're seeing, you're not, he's not hitting the ball as hard as he used to. He's not a very good defensive outfielder. He's not at all. And oh. it's just sad. And, and hopefully like it's still early in the season. So anything could happen. Maybe he can regain some of that. But right now, if you're looking at it, like, I think there was a reason the Colorado was the only team I remember thinking, like, is Chris Bryant going to make a hundred million dollars? Because there were a lot. I I, I thought there were a lot of questions about him. And then the Rockies came in like one hundred eighty two million. But I don't really think there was a lot of competition there. I think the Rockies are really bidding against themselves. And he obviously took that deal because it was a fantastic deal for him.
1: This is a conversation that absolutely nobody is ready to have because there's layers to it and there's nuance to it. And there's nothing that uh, modernity and the internet hate more than layers and nuance. But what if the Cubs had given Chris Bryant a contract extension of the sort, similar to what the Rockies gave him as a free agent? What if they had done that and everything that has happened to him physically and statistically since ending up in Colorado, what if that, if that had happened with him staying as a cub? I, I don't know how we quite would have gotten through that as a nation.
0: Yeah, and Jed had a very difficult job because even if it was the right thing to do, and it appears at this point it was the right decision, he still had to do that, and he had to do that to a World Series hero. Same thing with Javi, though. Man, he's off to a horrid start in Detroit. The two guys from the last like six years, maybe two and a half guys from the last six years that bothered me, Uh, definitely Kyle Schwarber and what he's been able to do and the way that that ended. Anthony Rizzo has exceeded expectations as far as I'm concerned, but he landed in a good spot there in New York. And you Darvish, man, that still kind of pisses me off that they just sort of pawned him off to San Diego. But Mm -hmm. the other ones, I think the Cubs probably did the right things here. I was watching Wilson Contreras last night with the Cardinals. Man, he doesn't look right either. I think the Cubs dodged a bullet with that one as well. So, uh, you know, unique to see how that plays out. But I would describe Chris Bryant's demeanor or his composure is like tentative. He just doesn't seem right on the field anymore. And the two right fielders in that ball game last night it was Jordan Walker for the Cardinals, who I was raving about last week and telling Harriet at the game last night, I'm going to hate this guy for most of the next decade. Cause he's going to be a superstar, but to watch him and the way that he moved in the outfield and then to watch Chris Bryant, it's like watching Clydesdales, you know, uh, it, it was not good seeing that transition there. And it's just sad to see, sort of what's become of Chris Bryan. I'll be rooting for him at Cruz Field this year,
1: but he doesn't seem right. But Clydesdale, you have to get that St. Louis in there, huh? Uh, like Jeremy said, he's dealt with a lot of injuries in the last, I mean, at this point, in the last 2018, 2019, 2020. 2021, 22, six, seven seasons. He's dealt with a lot of injuries and that's going to make a guy tentative because in the back of his mind, he's potentially worried that every time he dives, he's going to hurt a wrist or an elbow. Every time he runs, he's going to uh, blow a knee or a hamstring. That's going to weigh on a guy physically and mentally. And you say he looks tentative. Again, I think that's just weighing on him is years of not being completely healthy. And even mentally, he's just not able to go all out in fear that he's going to re-injure something again. And again, that has to weigh on a guy.
2: I also think mentally, like, he's set now. He, he's he got his contract. Yeah. Yeah. He's got oh, his yeah. money. He's got where he's living. He's won a World Series. He's won an MVP. He's done, like, everything. Uh, Yeah, I, I don't know. if Like, I don't want to question Chris Bryant. I love Chris Bryant. He was one of my favorite players ever to play for a Cubs uniform. But, like, there could be – is that drive still there, right? Like, he's got his money. He's got where he's living. He's got his family. He's He's got everything, like, that he could possibly want. He's done it. So it's, it's, it's just tough with the injuries and everything. And, but this kind of, as you're mentioning, this kind of goes back to what I was saying at the beginning about the Ian Hap extension. Like, I mean, think about where the Cubs were when COVID hit the reports were the Cubs were pretty much in the red zone or whatever, there was football terminology with Javi Baez. Like that was a contract that was going to get done. And then COVID hit. And that was a pause on everything because of, you know, the finances. And we all know what happened, obviously with Darvish and Schwarber after that, but that's a contract. If you're going to look back at it, like, oh boy, like I know he had a pretty good stint with the Mets, but since then it's not been good for Javi and, you know, Brian's struggling Rizzo Rizzo. I like it, but he's a 30 plus year old first baseman with a bad back playing yeah. in a, in a, in a ballpark that is absolutely built for him. Right field that short right field porch and the Cubs off. I mean, I, we all yeah. thought that Cubs low offer was a low ball, but they all, he hasn't made, he, that would have been more money so far than he's making in New York. He still needs kind of another contract just to get up to that 70 million. Um, So yeah, you know, Darvish, I agree with you that that one kind of sucked that they had, they ended up trading him, whatever. But I think for the most part, and I see Cardinal fans mad about Wilson's, yeah. uh, excuse me, Wilson's, you know, Catching behind the plate like I, I I've seen it's early still whatever but like there are some things out there about Wilson uh, if you have to look back at it it's tough it was difficult to do but I jet has proven to be like a disciplined guy. He has not got out of his comfort zone to do something. And there's critiques of that. We all, I critiqued him a lot about that. You know, like you have to get out of your comfort zone. If you want to get a big major deal done, you have to do that. And maybe Theo got too much out of his comfort zone sometimes. Cause he was like willing to, but anyway, but so far has proved to be disciplined. And in that situation, I, I think he's proven to be right. And if you're going to give one guy that contract, and it wasn't even a huge contract right now, I think Ian Happ has proven he should be that guy. And, it's working out that way. And so it's just kind of unfortunate to see kind of all your world series heroes kind of go off a cliff so fast, but that happened like in 2018, 2019, 2020, those 2021, those Cubs teams probably never really reached their full potential. Like it was building that way.
1: I feel bad for Wilson Contreras still, even after all the things he said, he's, he's already finding out and he's going to find out even more the extent to which he is simply not Yachty or Molina. And Cardinals fans are not smart enough to realize that he's better than Yadier Molina. And all they want back. No, I said it. I said it on the airwaves. It's official. You can't say things on the internet. They're not true. Don't hold your hand up to me, O'Shea. You can't stop me from this one. I see you. But he's going to find out very quickly the extent to which he is not Yadi or Molina. And he's going to find out very quickly the extent to which Cardinals fans only want more Yadi or Molina. And I don't think that contract is going to end happily. I think yeah. like Dexter Fowler before him, I think he's going to play out about half of it and realize, shit, this place sucks and find his way out of there. So I feel bad for him in that regard. I hear you. I'd say they've got very different skill sets and that will certainly be illustrated with
0: Cardinals fans. And we talked about that in the off season, you go from a guy who's known as at least in Cardinal land, the greatest defensive catcher of our era To Wilson, that's not the same thing there. You're gonna get more pop, but boy, the receiving isn't the same, and that impacts the whole ball club. So it's been a bit of an awakening for Cardinals fans.
1: He said illustrated for Cardinals fans. I'm imagining a very simplistic like child's book read to them like one page at a time. That's what you need to illustrate for Cardinals fans.
0: Randall, I spent last night around thousands of St. Louis Cardinals fans and I know showered since. Well, I have I have, but I one thing that was sort of funny to me is I'm at the ballpark it's like six fifteen right on a Tuesday night. game starts at six forty. There was a gentleman standing right above the Rockies bullpen. Heavier set guy wearing a Nolan Arenado Cardinals jersey that was a little bit tight. So kind of an awkward look, right? This guy is screaming. I mean, screaming top of his lungs at Kyle Freeland, taunting him, calling him Rock Pile Kyle at the start of the ballgame. I was laughing. I thought it was pretty funny. And I also thought, God, what a jackass. This guy making a huge scene in the ballpark. Uh, Lots of interesting Cardinals characters out at Coors last night. Five course,
1: syllables. That's so impressive for a Cardinals fan. Good for him. Rockpile Kyle.
2: And of course, wearing that Arenado jersey, I'm sure, really endeared him to all the Rockies fans yes. around him. But to, to, to go back to Wilson, I will say uh, if if Randall's dreams come true and we get more of an uh, automatic balls and strike system, uh, Wilson, that contract will probably look a lot better for Wilson. Yeah.
1: It doesn't, doesn't seem point. like they're going towards that anytime in the next couple seasons. So, you know, we'll see how that plays out.
0: Well, Wilson got a single loud clap for me prior to his first at bat. Just one clap that was my appreciation for 2016 and everything they did in Chicago. At that point, though, he's a Cardinal, and I wanted him to make lots and lots of outs. And, of course, the Rockies blew the ball game late last night. Uh, Nolan with a huge hit, and then he homered again today in a win against the Rockies. So a satisfying weekend for Nolan, but I feel like I've paid my respects to Wilson, and I don't have to cheer for him anymore until maybe down the road if he comes back for another
1: stint or a lap on the north side. Yeah, Cardinals do not come to Wrigley for the first time until Monday, May 8th. And I want to be very clear. The Cubs will absolutely have some sort of tribute video. Wilson will step out of the dugout. He'll wave to the crowd. He deserves every bit of that. And then the second that ends, it's on, Wilson. It's on. We're we're going to put another L on your name. You're going to be Wilson with three L's. So, uh, yeah. So he deserves every bit of remembrance when he comes back. And the second that is over. He's he's back to being public enemy number one. So you know we are yeah. we are large. We contain multitudes. Like your friend the Arenado fan, also large and containing mm-hmm. multitudes.
0: One other note here as we bring the show home Monday night during that. Rockies Cardinals game a fan jumped on top of the Rockies dugout during the seventh inning stretch and tackled Dinger what Dinger does during the stretch is he dances during the stretch and then they've got this other song that he dances during until the bottom of the seventh inning and what I noticed with Denver media today the witch hunt is out people are trying (laughs) to find out who this guy was and Rockies fans who are pissed off at ownership they're pissed off at the state of the franchise want this guy banned from Coors Field and you know what I'm behind him no Nobody attacks Dinger. And if I was at that ballpark, I'd have gone after the Dinger attacker. Not cool.
1: Dinosaurs are already in danger. They're practically extinct. You don't go after Dinger in his own ballpark. It's simply not done. You don't attack another Triceratops.
0: And the video is out there. You can watch it on Twitter. Of course, I'm going to blame a Cardinals fan. I'm just going to naturally assume it was Absolutely. a Cardinals fan. But the person was wearing black, which is a color more closely associated with the Rockies. So I don't know. Someone didn't like Dinger, and they tackled him on the dugout.
1: Three words, false flag operation.
0: (laughs) It was a Cardinal (laughs) fan. It must've been, Uh, but that's all. Hey, we're in good spirits. Ian Hap gets the contract extension. The Cubs are over 500. And what's better than late night baseball this weekend and into next week, three at Dodger stadium, three in Oakland. We'll have lots to talk about. And then after that, when the Cubs come home, we're going to be at Wrigley field for that Friday afternoon game between the Chicago Cubs and the Los Angeles Dodgers. I cannot wait. We'll get one more show in here before that takes place, probably next Wednesday at the end of the road trip in California before the Cubs back, uh, come back to Wrigley field, but good stuff here tonight, guys. Ian Happ, that's everything. That's top of mind for all of us. We're so happy to have him back and we'll see you next week on behind the yellow line.